When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum Card member with global dining access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't. Reserve. I never have, and I never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners. And I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Payne Insider and Todd Furman. Welcome into the Bet the Board podcast, powered by betonline.ag. Wild card weekend with a little college football bonus at the end. I'm your fearless leader, Todd Furman, joined, as always, by my esteemed colleague and co-host and someone who might smell a rat. The one, the only pain insider. <laughs> I didn't want to talk about that, but I might have to now because of how you phrased that. Um, <laughs> that has different connotation. <laughs> uh, leave it to you, the college guy, to sneak in, you know, just this random college football game right into an nfl podcast well you know what if i knew you better Payne, i mean i might have tried to throw you another curveball and said that we needed an in-depth breakdown in north dakota state and eastern washington for fcs supremacy on saturday morning but i figured we could compromise with a little alabama clemson breakdown which of course will come after uh we deep dive all four nfl playoff games this weekend amazing how time flies when you're having fun it was just a few weeks ago we were talking about how the beck the backs, the Bucks under six and a half was one of our favorite regular season win totals in August. Oof, was it, what did they finish with? Did that guy haven't done any win total stuff yet? Uh, that happened is that, is to be a good? winner. Is that and in the bag? That happened to be a winner, and Dirk Cutter oh. ultimately lost his job as I, you well, so I know eloquently that part, predicted. Smartass, <laughs> I haven't graded any of our win total stuff yet. Although I do know, uh, none too happy about that Cowboys result. Against the Giants, that one was tough to watch. We had under nine there. Typically suboptimal. Typically suboptimal when you're a seven-point favorite playing against a uh, large and a half of penny. backups, and then all of a sudden, Dak Prescott treats it like it's the Super Bowl, leading them down the field. But hopefully, that's a harbinger. How of dumb is that team, by the way? The Cowboys. I mean, uh, oh, it's they have a lot of talent. I was digging through that roster. Obviously, I always do, but they have they're loaded. And they're just ran by a bunch of bumbling idiots. Well, we'll see how those bumbling idiots... I feel bad for Tony Romo. I do. Handle their business this week. (laughs) He might be one of the most talented quarterbacks. I I, I I think about this all the time. I watch some of this stuff. I dig into some of the numbers. He got jobbed. If he had anyone with a pulse in that organization, he's winning Super Bowls. 
I mean, there's a distinct possibility, but you can. I mean, I don't want to say you can say that about a lot of quarterbacks, but there are a handful out there as well. I mean, maybe. I mean, Big Ben should have a couple more Super Bowls to his credit as well, given the dumpster fire that's become the Steelers too. No. Absolutely. Are you, you you're lining me up for a Tomlin rant? Did you see the press conferences this, oh, the past two? They've been glorious. They've been everything the Steelers have done since they slipped by the Bengals on Sunday has been absolutely glorious. The problem here is, oh, he's supposed to be a player's coach, and oh, he runs a loose like he, runs a loose ship. When your players, but it doesn't act seem like, like any of the players that matter actually like the guy. Yeah, I mean, I figure they try and uh, he gives him an inch, they try and take a mile. I mean, I think one of the best uh, memes I saw f- uh, on Instagram the other day was Levy and Bell pushing a stroller by a house that was on fire, <laughs> which happened to be the Steelers. He looks and goes, ah, I got out of this place just in the nick of time. But I mean, I know there's some props at betonline.ag posted on that. Maybe we'll get Dave's take on that a little bit later in the show. But we could go on a thousand different tangents, Payne. We do have actually four, fo- four NFL games and a college game to get to. So I uh, think we should kick things off with Texans and Colts. Sure, whatever you want. All right, let's do it. Houston Texans, one and a half point. Home favorites against the Colts. The rubber match, so to speak. Total in this game, 48 at betonline.ag. Texans, 37-34 winners in Indianapolis earlier in the season. The fateful, we're going to go for it on fourth down, which may or may not have ultimately cost the Colts home field in this particular game. It and did. The Colts... It did, but hold on a second. You're a <laughs> I like smarter... the decision. I'm an aggressive guy. Okay, it still was wasn't the say. right math decision, but I'm an aggressive guy, and I was like, F it. At that point, they were just trying to – we didn't expect them to be this good, I don't think. No. Um, and, and I, I don't th- think they expected to be this good. No, but at the same time, too, Andrew Luck had some pretty promising comments after that and said our coach believed in us, and that was the sign that we thought we could turn the corner. So, yes, oh, yeah. while they're going on the road in this particular game, sometimes it's the little things that we talk about all the time in this business. You have to lose a battle from time to time to win the war. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that, and that was the turning point. He's been confident in his guys all year. I was reading some stuff this week about how he was hanging – uh, the number 32 all over the locker rooms and every projection had the Colts being one of the worst teams in the NFL. I think partly due to that because people didn't know what Andrew Luck was going to be returning from the shoulder injury. But then he said, we even hit a grand slam in the draft. And even after the draft, they were saying we had the worst team. He's been confident in this team all along. I think he's confident in himself because he knows what he's doing. And that's obvious. And now that he's got his franchise quarterback back healthy, zinging it around uh, this team. And I've, commented on this months and months ago if there's a team i could buy stock on this was the one um with a win here what do they they go to arrowhead with a win here i believe yep they go they go to arrowhead and uh i mean you started that narrative long before i believe some prominent programs yesterday uh i can't remember who it was talking about other colts a year away from a dynasty they continue <laughs> to draft players like quentin nelson and darius leonard they are definitely headed in the right direction no doubt about it um this game i hope that we're going to see the Colts come out and wing it, right? I that's That was the lone issue when I was breaking down the first matchup. And I get that they're doing some things well that they haven't done well in the past, right? I'm, I'm, I'm just a big proponent of scheming and game planning for your opponent's weaknesses. And I, I don't want to see a run-heavy approach here from the Colts' offense. They've been very good this year running the ball. As Colts fans can attest, it's a dimension to that offense that they haven't had in a long, long time. Andrew Luck loves it. Being balanced 
is a way to be really efficient. They're coming off the Titans game where we said they're going to be able to run it right at an overrated Titans defense, 158 yards, over 50% of the runs grade successful. I don't want to see that in this specific game. We saw in the first matchup, Frank Reich really tried to establish the ground game when uh, they played in Houston recently. The first four possessions, they went 50% run, and it equated to 21 yards on the first four offensive series, less than 1.8 yards per play. And then finally, once they opened it up, uh, they hang 24 the last three quarters, and it's because Andrew Luck in the passing game were zinging it all over the place. 10.1 yards per pass attempt the final three quarters in that second matchup. They need to start how they finish the game, I think. Uh, this is a Texans defense, to me, that's overrated. Um, but the one thing they do is they stop the run. Clowney is, I know when everyone, when he came out of college, everyone thought he was just going to be this elite pass rusher, and he does get after the quarterback well. But they, but he is just one of the best run-setting edges in all of the NFL. Their corners tackle very well. Because of that, it is an elite run defense. Number one in rushing success rate defense. Number one in opponent yards per rush. Number one in defensive run efficiency. Where they struggle is defending the pass. And I know you'll look, and a lot of people listening like to look at some of these metrics, and you'll see, hey... Houston's only 18th in pass defensive efficiency. And I know it's only slightly below average, so it doesn't sound that bad. It's not horrific. But when you look, Houston's faced the easiest schedule of passing offenses in the NFL. So you have this below average pass defense, despite the very easiest competition. Indy comes in now. They are humming. It's a top 10 passing offense. If you look how they're trending, the last four games, number one in passing success rate. Huge advantage here through the through the air, I think, for the Colts, Todd. Indy has thrown for almost 900 yards in the two meetings against the Houston Texans. But, Pena, I always want to ask you this because you do more reading than anybody out there, and you try and unpack what some of the coaches say and the players and figure out how that's ultimately going to impact the game plan. So one quote that I found fascinating coming from Frank Reich, and want to get your take on it, what you think it ultimately means to the handicap before we break down some of the other matchups. So in terms of he was asked about playoff mistakes being magnified and his comment, I would say the needles adjust slightly. For instance, the importance of running and stopping the run, the importance of the turnover <laughs> battle, the importance of penalties or lack thereof. And this coming from a coach, coach who's been there done that he was a player for buffalo and all their championship teams back in the 1990s does that lead you to believe that's more coach speak or do you think we could see them employ a similar approach at hey we trust our defense we're number one in the league in points per game allowed since week seven we're number one in point differential during that same time period we're happy to come out run the football with marlon mack try and establish the point of contact on the line of scrimmage punt it and maybe this game is three nothing after the first quarter hoping that the texans make a big mistake given how much deshaun watson and has been sacked and contacted by opposing defenses all season long. Listen, just based upon the success they've had running the ball, specifically last week, they've done it all season long. Now you get Ryan Kelly back at the center position. I think they'll probably want to try and run the ball, and that's kind of why I was talking the other direction initially. I don't really want to see that. I want to see the Colts pass to set up the run. I don't want to see it vice versa because I don't think you're going to be able to go out there and consistently win on first down running the ball against the Houston Texans defense. It hasn't happened all season. No one's been able to do it. As great as your offensive line is and as proved as it is, I just don't see you successfully running the ball on first down right at the Houston Texans. I think you pass to set up the run. And so maybe that's a little bit of a coach speak, but at the same time, Frank Reich is good enough. Now, certainly could impact this total a slow start, 
But as we saw in the first game, after a few possessions, Frank Reich, the light bulb came on and he adjusted and, and they end up going on to win that game. Not a lot of other coaches when the light, the light bulb doesn't usually come on. So when your first initial game plan doesn't work, it usually results in a loss. But Frank Reich is smart enough, sharp enough to adjust. Could be coach speak, especially after how things panned out the first game. I'm intrigued to see if that's the case. This total, little battle going on. Um, initially, some over money. Market doesn't seem to like 49. I'm intrigued to see where this goes. Um, but it's going to be dependent on a lot of what the Colts offense does. How healthy is T.Y. Hilton? Healthy enough. I mean, he's been <laughs> dealing with this. He's been dealing with this for a long time. Uh, he's a guy that hasn't practiced very much over the last month or two. He's played in games uh, where he hasn't practiced all week. He's played in games where he's just done some limited stuff on Fridays. This is a pretty significant injury. Uh, we saw him kind of limping around out there against the Titans, had a crucial drop, um, didn't want to get hit on the long run, but he's a tough guy. I know you look at his size and stature and you think probably a soft guy is a speed guy. Uh, he's tougher than you think. He's been battling through this injury, clearly not 100%, but I know his eyes light up when he sees the secondary and he's even <laughs> talked about it as much. This is a slow secondary. Um, and that speed is a big factor. It's why he's had great success specifically in the first two matchups this season. I know we're going to talk about this in three of the four games being played this weekend, but also wanted to get your take on the level of inexperience. Now, when we look at this Colts roster, I mean, this is a team where 24 out of the 53 players on the active roster are only in their first or second NFL seasons and only 15 have participated in a playoff game. When you look at the Colts, given how much turnover there's been to the new regime, only four players, T.Y. Hilton, Andrew Luck, Vinatieri, and Costanzo are the only guys remaining from the last time Indy was in the playoffs. But Deshaun Watson on the other side makes his playoff debut as well. How do you try and handicap some of the inexperience versus veteran leadership in these games, especially at the quarterback position? Because we're going to see it here with Watson. We're going to see it with Lamar Jackson making his debut against the Chargers and also with Mitchell Trubisky against Philadelphia. It certainly plays a factor without question. You don't know what you don't know. Experience um, is something not just in sports, but in life, right? You know, some of the things we did when we were 20, we look at now and be like, damn, that was just fucking stupid. I wish I could um, do some of that shit again, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, you know, it's all learning experience. I think when we look at the Colts, certainly it's a young roster. Chris Ballard has it loaded with young talent. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But I, I like the idea that last week was effectively a playoff game. It was on the road. But you're not going to be able to shit your pants like you did last week and get away with it here, I don't think. I think, you know, as much as we, we believe the Texans are probably a little bit overrated, they're certainly better than the Titans with a backup quarterback and Blaine Gabbert. But Indianapolis could have won that game by five scores. Andrew Luck woke up the dog with the pick six. There was a slew of penalties in crucial spots. There was a couple brain farts in certain spots and critical spots. Even T.Y. Hilton's dropping critical third down. So it was a young team. Hopefully it got you know, a little bit out of their system. I think probably an edge to Indianapolis in that regard. I know throughout the roster is young, but when your head guy is Andrew Luck, he's been in the playoffs before. He's been in this spot before, and I think they have their playoff game. They've already played it. They had a playoff game last week, and it was on the road. So I think that was a good test and tool uh, that they can take bring forward with them this week. Last but not least on this campaign, uh, what do you make of the number? We saw some of the sharper shops open three, other books open two. We've seen a steady trickle of money coming in on the Colts, taking it down to pretty much a consensus of one. We mentioned one and a half at betonline.ag. Uh, what does the number tell us about this matchup? 
I think the number should be two, two and a half. Um, so at one, there isn't like a ton of value here to invest in the game. You're gonna have to find something else, another angle. Um, and one thing we know with wildcard weekend, you're really just looking to pick the winner. And in these games this weekend, we're going to see a lot of that. Just pick the winner and it's going to breed some success. We know, I think it was the last 54 games in wildcard weekend. The underdog is actually won 24 of them outright. So we're looking to just pick the winner. I don't know where this goes. I know initially it was grab a number from some of the sharp guys taking the three. Is that the real position? We'll, we'll find out. Um, I just, we think this Texans offense is a little overrated. And I think that's probably why we've seen some indie money come in. That's the biggest thing to me. We need to see Houston's offense take that next step. They are really trending poorly. And I think that's one of the underlying things here. I think a lot of people think, you know, Deshaun Watson, this dynamic offense, it hasn't been the case. They are trending. And I mean bad. You look at the last four weeks, they are 18th in passing success rate, 30th in rushing success rate. So this has been a below average offense. The Will Fuller injury is finally rearing its head. We know those numbers and what they look like. We talked about them ad nauseum when it first happened and then the difference between what Deshaun Watson is with Will Fuller and what he is without. I mean, you're talking one and a half touchdowns less per game with Deshaun Watson starting when he doesn't have Will Fuller. You're talking a passer rating that's 25 points lower. If Lamar Miller can't get it going on the ground and there is no indication that the Indianapolis Colts are going to be able or are going to allow the Texans to run the ball, then what? You know, that I think is the big question. Demarius Thomas obviously out with the Achilles injury. Kiki Kute is supposedly practicing full on Wednesday. I think he's going to need to be vital to provide that, you know, second option after Hopkins. Because when you look and see if if Kiki Kute Kiki Kute can't contribute, uh, you have receivers from Limestone State and Sacramento State on the roster. It's Proud just football not programs. A, uh, Limestone University, I think, is one of those like fake degrees you just put on your wall. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. So I think that's that's the interesting element. If Bill O'Brien is smart, and I hate saying this, I don't know if he is. He's really got to focus on using Lamar Miller out of the backfield, catching balls. I really think that's that's probably an element. I think that will have some success here. I was looking at this around the season. He's only got 25 receptions in 14 games. You would think Bill O'Brien coming from the Belichick tree, um, and, and that apple is is sliding really far away from that tree about this time, but you got to have him have six, seven receptions in this game, especially if you're not able to run it between the tackles. Let's see if Bill O'Brien has that as part of his game plan, using Lamar Miller out of the backfield. One, because it's efficient, and two, because you don't really have many other receiving options past Hopkins at this point. Should be an interesting game to kick things off Saturday, of course. That'll be the start of Wild Card Weekend. The game in primetime Saturday night takes us to Jerry's World, where it's the Dallas Cowboys, a two-point favorite at betonline.ag. Total in this game sits at 43. Payne, again, we can st- actually let's start this game and some of uh, our, our deep diving analysis on where this number opened uh, and what you make of the initial movement we've seen thus far. Um, I don't hate it. I, I These are all tough games. This is a really tough card this week. I thought the numbers were pretty tight, which is to be expected at this point. It's, it's really 
about matchups. You're, you're looking for matchups this time of year. Uh, you're looking for how teams are trending. That's what's going to provide the edge because all the numbers are pretty tight. All the numbers in line. Like it's the NFL. It's wildcard weekend. We've gone through 17 weeks. You're not going to see a line that's three, four points off. Um, and I'm sure someone will come back and be like, you know, one of these games is going to end in a blow and be like, oh, you know. But at its core right now, these numbers are extremely tight. So you're looking for ancillary things that kind of put you over the edge. Um, I think when I looked at this, two is the right number. And there's been this long history of guys talking about how there's no home field advantage in Dallas because of how they've performed ATS. This place is going to be a madhouse this weekend. Um, it is going to be a massive pro Dallas crowd. People are going to be coming out in droves. I think you are actually going to up your home field advantage this week for Dallas. Well, and you mentioned some of those matchups, and we know the key to the Cowboys' success has and will continue to be Ezekiel Elliott getting on track. And when you look at this Cowboys offense so far this season, they only average a little more than 21 points per game and 343 yards per game for their full season body of work. Those are the lowest numbers of any team to make the playoffs. They've struggled against the Seahawks' defense, but when you look at Ezekiel Elliott, he's averaged over 5.5 yards per carry. Earlier this season, almost 8 yards per carry. And Seattle this year paying against top 10 rush offenses. They only face two teams in three games. The Rams go for 33 points and 155 yards in the first meeting. The second meeting, the Rams go for 36 points and 149 yards. And week 12 against Carolina, the Panthers rack up 220 yards on the ground and score 27 points, albeit in a loss. And the Seahawks defense, 25th in the league, allowing almost six yards per play. Can Seattle do enough to get their ground game going, opening up play action, taking some of the pressure that will inevitably be on Dak Prescott when he looks across the sidelines and sees Russell Wilson staring back? Um, I think you're talking about Dallas's offense, right? Is that where we're going with this? Yeah, Dallas's offense and what we've seen from them, knowing uh, that they struggled early in the year, obviously looked a lot better with Amari Cooper, uh, but being predicated on getting that ground game going. Um, listen, we know Dallas has to run the ball. I think they should probably be able to do that. I think we're going to see a heavy dose of Zeke. I also think just doing some reading this week, Zeke has talked about it. Jason Garrett has talked about it. They want to come out faster. And that could mean tempo potentially, but I also think it means more aggressiveness in the game plan. And the first time these guys played, Amari Cooper wasn't part of that. Dallas was struggling offensively with who they wanted to be, the plays they were calling, things of that nature. I don't think it's going to be just Zeke running between the tackles. Um, if we want to praise Jason Garrett, we can for this fact. He has made a concerted effort since the bye week to get Zeke the ball in the passing game. And you look at how Seattle is de defends running back passes, it's not good. They give up 9.2 yards per pass to running backs, six touchdown passes. I think Zeke's got to be a huge factor here in the passing game. The other thing that I think is going to be a large determinant to this game. Uh, is going to be how Dallas operates in the red zone. And it's stunning to me that they haven't been good there because you are able to run the ball. You have a mobile quarterback, uh, but they're converting right now 48% of their red zone trips into touchdowns. That's fourth worst in the NFL. That has to improve here if they're going to win this game and kind of move forward in the playoffs. Uh, there needs to be better play calling. Um, I think there needs to be more imagination, uh, but they have really struggled in that area, and it's something to watch. And I think that's going to obviously determine who wins this game. It's going to determine the the total in this game. If Dallas can execute in the red zone, they're going to win the game. The total is going to go over. If they don't, it's probably going to be the reverse. 
The other thing that was interesting offensively to me doing some poking around, Amari Cooper is infinitely better against man-to-man coverage than he is zone. And it's kind of an underlying factor that not many will talk about. But Seattle plays the fourth most zone in the NFL. So let's see if Amari Cooper can get on track. It's not a good secondary, though it's trending a little bit better. Uh, But there are some injuries to that secondary still. Some guys playing hurt uh, that are clearly not 100%. But I think if Amari Cooper can get going, which is a huge key to this game because he has struggled against that zone defense, uh, that'll be big. And then again, how Dallas converts in the red zone. Well, you mentioned Seattle's defense, and this is a unit allowing its most points per game at over 21 in yards per game at 353-plus, allowed by the franchise since 2010. We know the Legion of Boom is completely gone, aside from Bobby Wagner being the primary holdout and K.J. Wright providing the strength of this team in their linebacking core. But the face there under center, Russell Wilson, second amongst active quarterbacks in terms of playoff victories. When we look at Seattle's offense, and full disclosure here, I mean, I know our podcast listeners paint all too familiar. You and I both bet the Seahawks win total under. Was shocked that they played as well as they did as they went through so many changes at a lot of key positions. You know, Russell Wilson has never had a 200-yard passing game in his career against Dallas, but he is 4-1 during that span. We look at Seattle and how they close the season. Winners are six out of their last seven games. They averaged 30 points per game since week 10, third best in the league, and they boast the number one rushing offense in the entire league, eclipsing 150 yards in 12 out of 13 games. And a lot of the players and coaches have come out and pretty much said, hey, that week three matchup against Dallas is where we tried to start and figure out an identity. And since week three, Seattle has rushed for 2,422 yards, the fourth most by any team since 2010 in a 14-game span. Dallas defensively, how do they match up with this Seahawks offense? Well, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. This is a ground-and-pound team. You look at the full-season metrics, they run it more than anyone in the NFL. They run it roughly 53% of the time. I don't think that's going to change, right, because their offensive linemen are far better run blockers than they are in pass protection. Um, The way Dallas is playing right now defensively, and this is going to surprise some people, it hasn't been very good. And it's been really dreadful on early downs, too. And quite honestly, if you can remove the Saints game from your head, which is tough to do, that Dallas defense is trending poorly of late. Um, I think certainly some of those games down the stretch haven't mattered, right, for the Dallas defense. That's part of it, and you have those mixed in there. I'm going to be interested to see if they can get back into form here. Uh, But if Seattle can move it on early downs on the ground, they're going to have a great shot here. The thing that's really important, I know everyone talks about their ground game and their ability to run it, which is certainly, with Chris Carson, a must. Um, It's how they're designed. This was an idea they wanted to implement when they went out and signed their offensive coordinator, who is a run-first guy. No one thought it would work. It seems to be working. They're a tough physical team. But the biggest key here and why this offense for Seattle has taken the next step is Doug Baldwin. He has been fantastic. He is Wilson's favorite target by far. Uh, It's an added element the offense did not have, this big play ability, right? And when you are running it so well, play action becomes just a little bit more effective. And I was looking at this the other day. In the five games Doug Baldwin has missed or been limited snaps-wise due to injury, Seattle is dead last in explosive passing. In the games that he has played, 
Seattle is the most explosive pass offense in the NFL. They've been fantastic on third down with Doug Baldwin. This is a really intriguing matchup. I think it's probably one of the better games of the weekend. Uh, But that is something to watch for because we all think and we all have kind of gravitated towards Seattle being this elite run team and all they do is run it. And that's true. But they have been deadly. They have been extremely explosive with Doug Baldwin back now that he's healthy. So if you're the Cowboys, then what should be their focus uh, as they continue to devise their defensive game plan to at least neutralize the Seahawks offensively? Well, what you're going to do, and it's key, is, and I think this is probably the matchup, the game within the game, is that Dallas defensive front has to be dominant. They have to stop the run on first down, on second down, force Seattle to be passers, and that's the key, right? Russell Wilson's going to make his plays. Russell Wilson's going to find some explosive passes. He's going to extend plays with his legs, but if you can get Seattle in a situation where they're forced to pass and their offensive line becomes pass blockers, it's an edge, and I think that's the whole key to this game. Dallas's defensive front has to be dominant here, and if they are, they'll win the game. Should be a great game Saturday night to set up two tremendous matchups on Sunday as well. The first game will take us to Baltimore, where the Ravens will take on the Chargers for the second time in three weeks. This time, it's the Ravens, a three-point favorite at BetOnline.ag. Total in this game, 41 Payne, when we look at some of the notes around this game, Lamar Jackson looking to become only the second rookie quarterback to beat a 10-plus-year veteran since 1990, the only other player during that span, his teammate Joe Flacco back in 2008. The trivia question I should ask you there is, do you have any idea who the starting quarterback that Joe Flacco beat in that matchup was? I have no idea. Kerry Collins of the Tennessee Titans. Go figure. Didn't think we'd get hit. Didn't think we'd get his name into that podcast. But you look at John Harbaugh, 10-5 and five in the playoffs, second-best winning percentage amongst active, amongst active coaches behind only Bill Belichick. And when we go through the new-look Ravens, I'll ask you this more about the matchup than anything else. Who do you give the edge to? The Chargers that have already seen this Ravens offense and be the first team to play them twice with Lamar Jackson as the starter, or the Ravens because they were so dominant, both establishing the run and making life absolutely miserable for Phillip Rivers in that game that Saturday night in Los Angeles? I oddly think, although this isn't necessarily the side I like, so don't read too much into this, but you would think advantage Chargers. Um And I think the one interesting thing that I've picked up this week is both coaches have openly talked about the familiarity. Uh, This is going to be the second time in three weeks. And heck, like Anthony Lynn kind of doubled down on that. He flat out said like nobody's changing who they are at this point or what they do this time of year. And so from his perspective, Baltimore's offense is not going to change, right? Lamar Jackson doesn't, I don't think, have the ability and that offense doesn't have the ability to change who they are right now. I think Lamar is a better passer than we thought he would be. He's completing over 58% of his passes, which is, I think, spectacular for him. But we see the confidence isn't there necessarily, right? On third and five against the Browns, you have a chance to seal the game, and it's a a pitch backwards to a running back. Fortunately, that wasn't fumbled. But he is still (laughs) limited as a passer. But, like, this is a physical offense. It's built on running the football, um, and that isn't going to change here. And so I think it does provide a little bit of an advantage to the Chargers defense. Uh, We touched on this after Lamar's first start, but I think we get new listeners every week, so it bears repeating. 
In Lamar's seven starts, Baltimore has run the ball on 66% of the snaps. And we just got done talking Seattle. They're the most run-heavy team in the NFL during the regular season, roughly 53% of the time. So it's pretty wild to see that that correlation and how much running has gone on. Um, Anthony Lynn's comments about familiarity got me to thinking a little bit. So I started poking around yesterday and I dug into the first matchup. In the first half of the game in week 16, the Ravens averaged 5.4 yards per rush, 41% success rate. It was pretty clear to me, especially that first drive where there was like a little bust to Gus Edwards who went for an explosive run. The Chargers were still in that mode where they're trying to like figure out this quirky, unfamiliar Ravens offense. You just don't see very often. It was also, I think it was a short week, although they did play the Thursday game. So they actually had extra time. So that isn't an excuse. Um, But I, you know, you went into halftime, it looked like, and L.A. made some adjustments. They, they seemed to figure some things out because in the second half, the Ravens run game averaged 3.4 yards per rush attempt. They were only successful in 23% of runs. Uh, that was a huge improvement there. And then when I went back and watched this game, because I've, I've watched it like six times now, it's pretty, pretty depressing. Um, Kurt Warner was on the telecast, and I, I find him to be extremely sharp. Uh I could see him potentially taking Jason uh, Jason Witten's job eventually here, but Warner is going to forget more football than than we would ever know. I just he is so sharp to me, and throughout that telecast, he kept mentioning the style of defenders the Chargers had, specifically their safeties, and just like how fast they were, um, how they could move sideline to sideline, how good of tacklers they were. And I went back and watched the All-22, and sure enough, uh, Kurt Warner was spot on. Adrian Phillips, Derwin James combined for 15 tackles. They were two of the top three tacklers for the Chargers. They have the speed to at least limit Lamar getting outside. Um, and I think that's positive, because if you can limit him going outside, you kind of know where the offense is going to operate, and that's right up the middle. Uh, the other thing that I have noticed here, and it's all about stopping the run, because that's what you have to do. Um there's been a lot of improvement I've seen from the Chargers run defense. And I was looking at this yesterday, weeks one through seven, the Chargers allowed 53% of runs to great successful. They go into the bye week. I'm sure they self-scouted themselves. They fixed a couple things, made a couple changes from weeks nine through 17. Los Angeles improved only allowing 45% of runs to great successful. So they went from third worst weeks one through seven to seventh best weeks nine through 17. I think you'll like to see that trend line improve if you're a Chargers fan. Also, the big thing here is the 315 pound interior lineman, Brandon Mebane, returned for the final two games. He was dealing with that. Uh, I don't know exactly what it was. I believe it was a, a heart condition to his daughter. So it was a family issue. He missed like four weeks. His first two games back was week 16 and week 17. Since then, the Chargers have only allowed 40% to 40% of runs to great successful. And then you look at the competition, right? It's the Broncos run game. It's the Ravens run game. Those are two top 10 rushing offenses. So I like how the Chargers have defended the run, which they're going to see a lot of. I like the idea that they have seen this before. Uh, so I do think it's an edge for the Chargers defense. I think, you know, the other side of the coin, and I was talking to someone about this last night, as well as they defended the run the first time, can that improve? And, and the answer is probably not. Um, it's tough to improve on a 23% uh, rushing success rate defense. Like It's not going to happen. So that's the interesting element here is we, we think the Chargers did a great job last time stopping the run despite the scoreboard. I just don't know if that can improve here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Now, the Chargers do have another injury, and I'm not going to claim he's Luke Keekley by any stretch for what he means to kind of anchor that Chargers defense. But Jatavis Brown had eight tackles in the previous meeting. You read some of this stuff, and you have better player grades than I do. They claim that he's one of the key contributors as far as stopping the run. How much does that change what they can do defensively? Um, did have a lot of tackles in that game. Doesn't grade out as a, a great linebacker, but the one thing that you'll notice is his frame. Uh, he's a guy that goes about 210 pounds, so he's a side-to-side guy, and, and I think that speed there could certainly... Uh, you'd obviously want him out there, right? Are we making an adjustment for a below-average linebacker? Probably not. But in this matchup, and he did have all those tackles in the first game, but he is has he has that ability to move sideline to sideline. It's certainly a guy you'd want out there. Gotcha. It's always, it's always interesting when you talk about some of the secondary or even in some cases tertiary players who obviously not going to impact the numbers, but clearly sh- should change the handicap. So what is your take there? When we look at the other side of the ball, Philip Rivers, of course, chasing history, first all time without a title game appearance and wins 118, passing yards, almost 55,000 and passing touchdowns. His current form, though, pain, nothing to write home about. Three straight games with multiple interceptions, 203 or less passing yards and three out of four and four straight games worth a sub 100 passer rating, a number he eclipsed in 10 out of their first 12. He was well below average in that game against the Ravens two weeks ago. When we look at this Chargers offense and how they match up with the Ravens defense, what are some of the things you look for there to try and figure out who may be able to garner an edge? Well, you're you're spot on. Um, and to me, the biggest determinant on this side of the ball is pretty simple. Can the five guys up front of that Chargers offensive line protect Phillip Rivers? In the matchup two weeks ago, they couldn't. Rivers was pressured on 28 of his 46 dropbacks, right? That's just like a staggering clip at 61%. If that happens again, LA's offense is going to struggle. Rivers is going to continue to turn the ball over some. I've watched every snap of the Chargers games the last, I think, four weeks, since the Cincinnati game, so it's four weeks. Their offense is flat-out struggling right now. Melvin Gordon confirmed that for me. He came out Sunday during the postgame Denver presser and said, listen, like we can't get in a rhythm for some reason right now. That's scary to hear when you're heading to Baltimore for the biggest game of the season, but he's right. Um, the last three games, Los Angeles is middle of the pack in passing success right after being a top five unit all season. The explosive plays right now are non-existent. This was a team that lived on explosive plays. They were second in explosive running, third in explosive passing. Um, the last three games, you look at their percentage of explosive plays, it's cut in half. It's now one of the worst explosive offenses. That's how it's trending. Um, From what I have seen, that decline is partly because of Gordon. He just doesn't look 100% right now. Uh, Teams aren't respecting the Chargers' run game, so they're dropping more guys back in coverage, which is hurting Phillip Rivers. Um, We know Gordon's working his way back from the MCL sprain, so he's dealing with that. And then this week, and a lot of people haven't talked about it, but he's got this ankle injury. And I know, I saw one of Dr. Chow's tweets. The sprain, I think, is more severe than people think. It is a mild high ankle sprain. Um, and it's unfortunately on the same side as the the MCL sprain. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how effective can he be. Um, I don't know if... He's certainly not going to be 100%. Let's put it that way. He's a gamer. Let's see how effective he can be. If he's not 100%, it's a big blow to this Chargers offense. Uh, the other thing that we've talked about in the first matchup, the way you want to beat 
this Baltimore defense is with your tight end. We said it two weeks ago. It just didn't happen, right? The Baltimore defense right now, giving up 83 receptions to the tight end position. That's the eighth most in the NFL. They're giving up 11 and a half yards per catch to tight ends. I, I love Antonio Gates. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend. He's not good enough right now to consistently beat that defense. Um, and that is the Ravens' weakness. There's rumors of Hunter Henry playing. We made sure to get out ahead of that last week. It was something that I kind of saw materializing. And I said, we got to ask Chow about this. By video, Chow came out and said, Henry isn't close to 100%. I think the best case scenario is you are looking at maybe 10 to 20 snaps in certain packages for Hunter Henry, whether it's short yardage, whether it's red zone, if he does play. I know people got really happy talking about him playing. Now people are kind of backtracking a little bit and saying it's questionable. I I don't know if they have the tight ends. I really don't. This is where you really need to make your hay against Baltimore, and that was a problem in the first game. Even Antonio Gates, when he catches the ball, he's wide open before he fumbles. I I don't trust him to do enough here. Um, the other thing we've talked about is how well-rested this Ravens defense is. In this time of year, I think that's really important. You look at the last eight weeks, and they're coming off the bye, and then you have the last seven games where they've only spent 177 minutes out of a possible 429. This is a rested and energized Baltimore defense. Um, and just speaking on the line, initially there was some Chargers money come in. Uh, I think you need to be careful with line moves early on in the week, specifically wild card weekend. This is the week where the public has their say. I think we're going to find out Baltimore ends up being the real position here. Yeah, I was amazed when I dug into some of those numbers. You talk about time of possession and how the Ravens have really tried to grind the clock down. Their defense has only been on the field snap-wise over the last three games for a total of 160. That's best in the league for a little more than 53 per game. That obviously goes a long, long way. We talk about it all the time, Payne. The NFL is as much about talent as is attrition. You want to be healthy and well-rested when the games mean the most. Should be a very interesting game Sunday morning, at least out here on the West Coast, for the Ravens and Chargers. The final oh, game. Oh man, of- does that mean you might have to stay home Saturday night? I mean, you make it. You hold on a second here. <laughs> hold on a second here. You make it sound like I go out and I live this raucous partying lifestyle. Oh, you're Saturday- out gallivanting. On Saturday nights throughout the course of the season, I try and get out of the house a lot more than you. But I think you're even a gallivanter. Even a recluse and a hermit gets out of the house more than you do uh, during the course of football season. But no, I'm not out till three or four in the morning, leaving Omni or Hakkasan, trying to stumble in to make sure I'm properly prepared for Sunday NFL. As a man approaching 37, I don't have quite the resiliency and bounce back that I did when I was in my early 20s. You do make me laugh because I catch you every now and then. One of those one of these days last week, I just chuckled. I didn't say anything. But it, we were talking throughout the course of the day, like, oh, I got to go here. I got to do this. I got to. And then at night you went out and the response was, I got to get out of the house. Been stir crazy. I'm like, dude, you're out all freaking day. What are you talking about? You know, sometimes uh, I can't just sit and operate in, you know, semblance of solidarity with the dog here, who's, by the way, sleeping right now because she apparently hates listening to the podcast and can't profit from it handsomely. But you another, know, you tr- another uh, life form that finds us. Um there's a lot of life forms that, 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 that doesn't seem to love us. 
there's a lot of life forms that don't love us, find us tedious or assholes <laughs> or insert other fine adjectives into there. But, you know, every now and again, you got to try and make rounds. But, hey, I will say the story we tease at the top that has absolutely no relation to football, at least I don't find dead rodents in my car. This is this is factual. Uh, you want to give, you wanna give our expl- audience? I was in the midst of I was in the midst of getting a text about basketball. I'm kind of uh, off centered here a little bit here, trying to dabble with this college basketball card at uh, at the key juncture here between that 10 and 11 a.m. rush hour. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't drive a lot, uh, and somehow I I was I decided to to get my car you know washed waxed you know get the leather. Uh, all that good stuff, get it reconditioned, you know, I, uh, I find out apparently somehow, uh, there was a dead rat under my gas pedal and it had to have been (laughs) something that was semi recent. I hadn't driven in about, I don't know, four or five days. Um, and the last time I was in the car certainly didn't smell. Uh, and I, I don't, I'm a guy who probably gets manicures, that thing. You know, I don't, I don't touch things. I don't, you know. I. So you're a diva is what I'm you're telling I'm not a diva. Us. I just, I don't like germs. Uh, you're going to see me just, you know, probably wash my hands 47 times a day. I am a, a huge investor in Purell, the whole nine, whatever. So if there's a rat in my car, I'm probably just throwing the car out if I saw it. Uh Thank God I didn't see this. I'm still pretending it didn't happen. I'm pretending uh, the guys who did my car lied to me so they get an extra hundred bucks out of me. That's what I'm hoping in my mind. It's one of those George Costanza things. It's not a lie if, if you believe it. Um, so I'm not believing there was a rat in the car. Uh, I'm going to say, hey, I got jobbed. This They got an extra hundred out of me because of this rat situation, which I never saw. And maybe they just threw like a little stink bomb in there. So that's what I'm going with. Uh, yeah. However... I have spent some good money here, uh, like Jerry Seinfeld here with the stinky car, to get this smell, this odor removed. And I think I think we've done it. I'm going to test it out after we get done recording here. All right. Well, worst comes to worst, you can always sell the car, buy yourself a new one. All right. That's what. Uh, if that becomes the end resolution, uh, no one would blame you in the least. There we go. I'm thinking of getting this whole driver thing. I've always wanted that. I'm thinking I'm going no car, just get a driver. Yeah. Not they like have not a- like Uber. That's what I was going to say. You know, they have a program for that. It's called yeah, Uber. You just don't, you just can don't I ask get the question, same driver this is every gonna, time. Can I ask you a question? This is going to sound really bad. Oh, I always love when you preface questions that way. But sure, nobody, nobody's listening. Go ahead. <laughs> can you pick who picks you up? This is, no, I'm like, you, I'm, I'm, I'm like going on 78 here. Don't know the Uber world. You do so, not so you have, don't know which kind of car is picking you up. So you could end uh, up I mean, like going to the club. You, you get the, you get the Uber with, no, uh, no, you can, with the you lady friend upgrade. and you end up rolling into the club in the Toyota Tercel. No, you can, you can, uh, you can do Uber X, you can do Uber okay. XL and then you can do Uber black. So there's only certain types of, uh, auto manufacturers that'll fall into Uber black. So if Welcome you want to drive 2019. A, well, I mean, you want to drive a higher-end car? Hey, that's that's something that works for you. At the same time, just because they have a nice car doesn't mean you get a better driver. That's true. Man, I always feel fearful not being in control of the wheel. So, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's always You're the relative. worst driver ever, by the way. Oh, here we go. I remember why, that why? story when we were in Dallas, Texas. That was brutal. I, I mean, I drove for an hour in the rain. I wasn't paying attention. No, 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 no. I was still you soaking ab- over the Alamo Bowl. You aborted... And somehow we stopped for lunch and I got stuck. It was your duty to drive on this, this 
specific trail. This was oh, yeah, your turn lazy. to drive. And after we, we got to lunch, it's like, do you mind driving? I didn't have my contacts in. I'm driving in like this torrential downpour. Thank God we survived. Yeah, that ride, I mean, from Dallas to uh, San Antonio, not one of the more exciting stretches of highway. Uh, Especially ever, not with the shit you listen to. I've never navigated. Hey, do not pick on my country music, all right? It's brutal. It's not it's even great. like fun stuff you can make fun of. It's like no, it, actual it stuff that you shelf. think is good. It is top shelf. It is great music, and it keeps you in a positive state of mind. Wait, what, what do you listen to all the time? Then, when you go on a long trip, since you only drive the car about thirty-five minutes, is about as far as you'll commute. Uh, I mean, what's on there? Are we a hip hop guy? Are we classic rock? I honestly don't know the answer to this. I'm I'm a little bit of everything. I'm a hog posh. I used to be, you know, a little rap guy, but not like I can't stand the new stuff. That's the problem. It's kind of why I've gotten out of the rap. I can't listen to the new stuff. I'll still listen to the. Uh, Jay Z, Biggie, that kind of thing, Nas, old stuff like that. Um, sure. That's that's a little better. I figure you were blasting like Warren G. Regulators. Uh, no, 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 no. Coming out although, of your Toyota Tercel as you're driving day, all over. Back in the day, that was that was a song above the rim. Such an underrated movie. Um, definitely but yeah, listen, you, to there's some uh, some other stuff. I, I don't definitely mind. Have, definitely have you pegged as a Bone Thugs and Harmony fan with posters all over uh, your man cave right now. There, there's <laughs> probably shouldn't say this out loud. There's like a pretty popular highway um, down here in the the Bone Thugs and Harmony song with with uh, Biggie Smalls back in the day it was like six minutes long. And there was always a race to see if you get from one end of the highway to the other in six minutes. It was very tough to do, but you had to get to go in like 140 to accomplish it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah, I what are we talking about here? This has been think, like 10 minutes of pure garbage. How yeah, many games I mean, do we have left here? I got college have, basketball to bet. We have two games left. We have one NFL game and a college football okay, game. Okay, let's so, do this. Bears, Eagles, Chicago, six point favorite at betonline.ag. Total on the game, 41. Mitchell Trubisky makes his playoff debut. The Eagles' improbable run continues. The Eagles are nine and seven, Payne. They're trying to become only the third number six seed to win it all to join the 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers and 2010 Green Bay Packers to do so. They'll start their quest this weekend at Soldier Field. Can Jolly St. Nick keep the holiday magic afloat for the boys from the city of brotherly love? I feel like you went to bed rehearsing that. That's pretty good. No, I don't go to bed rehearsing. I just, you know, these things come to me naturally. You bring out the best for all of our Bet the Board <laughs> podcast listeners, Payne. Are, are, are you, you using tell me stories a, about rats, I got to step my game up. Are you using a headset right now? Because you got very amped and started clicking buttons all over the place. No, I, I actually don't have a headset. So You're holding uh, a cell phone to your ear right now. No, I mean, I have headphones, not a headset. Okay, okay. Anyways, my ADD is Maybe really I'm betting college basketball without telling you. There you go. Go for it. Um, <laughs> Dick. <laughs> uh, I, this is tough because I don't get what, what, what's going on here with Nick Foles. Um, this is kind of why we watch sports, I guess. To Nick Foles' credit, he has been uh, tremendous. Let's, let's put that. Take nothing away from him. Uh, it's clear the guys in that locker room really trust him. They, they enjoy being underdogs. They embrace it. I think the you know, last masks, three games. yo. Yeah, the, the the last couple games, right, they've taken that us against the world mentality again, and it's it's woken them up because if you remember, we were talking before the season, how they were kind of in this funk, this fog. It really snapped them out of, out of whatever complacency they were in. It, I get it. It's common, right, from Super Bowl champions. We've seen that year after year. Um, 
when I looked at this three-game run for Nick Foles, certainly the defenses he's played against have some weaknesses. Uh, they have issues. There, there are some glaring concerns with those defenses. But when you look at how they operate with their pass defense, uh, all three are top 12 in passing success rate. And Foles here is, is completing 77% of his passes. So he has been dynamic. Uh, clearly, there is familiarity here with this matchup. We both have Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy from the Andy Reid tree. Um, a lot of the concepts and ideas are the same. The one thing that I've noticed, though, is the Philly offense has changed a little bit. And maybe that can breed some success here. The ball seems to be coming out of Foles hands like extremely quick. I was looking at some of those numbers. It is flying out of his hands, not from a velocity perspective, but from a release standpoint. He's getting the ball quick. It seems to be by design. I was doing some reading. A lot of in-the-know Eagles people have talked about the drastic modification of this offense. And with Foles in, it's more of a Chip Kelly offense. Uh, with Wentz in there, it's more of the Doug Peterson offense when when Wentz is under center. So the offense has changed a lot. The other drastic change that, that I have seen is when, I mean, I think Foles is under center right now. You're, you're looking at an offense that uses a lot of two tight end sets. I'm a Dallas Godert guy. I was hoping the Dolphins drafted him instead of Gesicki because he can actually be on the field on every snap, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, a little rant for later probably. They're doing great things with the two tight end sets. Um, they've made this drastic shift with Foles to go two tight ends. It's their most prominent formation right now since Foles has started. Uh, they have a 52% success rate since week 14 on 100 total, uh, 122 total snaps out of that formation. They've picked up 10 touchdowns uh, in that formation as well. Uh I think that's big in this game because when you run that formation, it disguises a lot of things. Is it run? Is it pass? We can do a lot of things from it. And that's the one thing that could bode well here for the Philly offense. If you are running normal stuff against Vic Fangio and you are running things that are easy to, easy to dissect pre-snap, you aren't going to have a prayer against this Bears defense. But when you start to look at things like running the ball from... Uh, three wide receiver sets or running the ball from formations that aren't familiar. Like the Bears are actually below average stopping the run in some of these formations. When you look at um, passing success rates, they do a very good job, the Bears defense, stopping play action passes from under center, but they're not very good defending them from the shotgun. I, I, I think there's going to be some wrinkles here. It'll also be interesting to see if the Eagles decide to go tempo. Not sure they're going to, but we've talked about using tempo against good pass rushing teams. Um, and I think you could see that implemented a little bit or at times here uh, just to kind of get those great defensive pass rushers for the Bears. Get them gassed out. Don't allow them to substitute, right? That pass rush becomes less effective when those guys are gassed out after four, five, six play series. Um, I think it'll also be interesting to see if they're going to use uh, more running backs um, out of the pass, uh, out of the backfield here. Um, I think those are probably some ways you're going to want to exploit this Bears defense. Again, if you just line up and try to beat them, it's not going to work. You're going to have to have something funky, something quirky within your offense, disguise the things you're doing to have some success against this Bears defense. And, and you would think Doug Peterson's smart enough to do those things. 
Yeah, you mentioned the Bears defense. Number one scoring unit has won a playoff game in nine of the last 10 seasons. The Bears led the league in not only scoring defense, but also rushing defense, takeaways, opposing passer rating, yards per play allowed, and defensive touchdowns. So they're good. Uh, as well. Yeah, I would say they're pretty good. <laughs> Interestingly enough, first time that they've led the league in scoring defense and takeaway since 1985. And as any Bear fan knows, we know exactly what happened in that particular season. One defensive question that I have for you, Payne, I want to ask you about an injury before we talk about the other side of the ball, where I think there are more questions and maybe where that game is ultimately won. You expect Eddie Jackson to be on the field anything close to 100%? Uh, today's going to be a big day. Let's put it that way. Uh, he's a gamer, tough guy. Let's see if he's at Thursday's practice. I, if I had a gun to my head. I'm going to say he's playing, but I don't gotcha. know how healthy he's going to be. Yeah. I mean, no dealing with that lower body injury that held him out of the last two regular season games. One of the key players as far as making big plays and really fortifying that secondary. All right. When we look on the other side, Payne, we know the Eagles weakness for a lot of the season has been a defense. Uh, despite leading the league with 133 quarterback hits this year between Fletcher Cox and Michael Bennett, they finished 21st or worse in a lot of key defensive metrics, including yards per game allowed, yards per play allowed, passing yards per game, and yards per carry. But when it comes to Mitchell Trubisky, everyone who's listened to this podcast knows that we aren't exactly singing his praises. He'll be the youngest Bears quarterback to start a playoff game since Doug Flutie back in 1986. And over his last five games, 184 yards per game, a touchdown interception ratio that's dead even, and a passer rating barely above 80. What does Trubisky and this Bears offense have to do to allow the Bears not only to win the game, but we obviously talk about a six-point favorite, win convincingly should folks want to make a case for them? And I think they should probably have success here. You know Nagy's going to come in with a game plan uh, that should breed some success. I know the Eagles' defense is showing some signs of improvement. I think a lot of that's probably chalked up to who they've played recently, right? It's a Texans offense that we've discussed uh, in great detail at the top. It's Josh Johnson and a, a dead-and-buried Redskins team. I think when you look at the trend line for the Eagles' defense the last four games, despite facing you know two teams I just mentioned— Philly's allowed 50% of passes to great successful. That's fourth worst in the NFL over that stretch. So I think Chicago's going to be able to move the ball a little bit. And even through the air, I think it's a positive sign. Everyone from that receiving core was back at practice on Wednesday and were full participants, which was shocking to me. But Allen Robinson, Taylor Gabriel, and Anthony Miller were all full goes. Uh, Kyle Long, he was a full go at yesterday's practice. That'd be big to get him back as well. I think the other positive here for, for Chicago's offense this is the time of year where you want to slightly adjust up for offenses with mobile quarterbacks. They're just going to be far more willing runners in an elimination game as opposed to a week seven game, right? When you're in the middle of the regular season, sure, you want to run uh, in these important games. You want to take off when it's there, but you're not just going to be like running to run um, because you just don't want to get injured. In an elimination game, it's balls to the wall. So I think that's a positive here for the Bears offense. I think Trubisky is going to be able to have some success running the ball. The Eagles have struggled mightily against mobile quarterbacks. And you go down this list, and it was Mariota at the beginning of the season, ran for 46 yards and a touchdown. Cam went for nearly 50 yards rushing. Bortles had 43 yards rushing. Deshaun Watson most recently, 50 yards and two rushing touchdowns, even early in the season. When Philadelphia was was very healthy on the defensive side of the ball, and you had an Andrew Luck who was still battling back from shoulder injury and, and wasn't really the runner we knew he could be, he has an explosive run for 33 yards. 
I think Trubisky's legs could really be the difference in this game. The other thing is Tariq Cohen. He is a matchup nightmare. We know that, obviously. Matt Nagy's done a good job, though, getting Jordan Howard running between the tackles the last few weeks. Maybe we'll see more of that. But when it comes to catching the ball out of the backfield with these little quirky things that Nagy likes to do, it's Tariq Cohen. And I think he should have some success here. Again, matchup nightmare against anybody. But when you look at how the Eagles defend running back passes, it's not very good. 110 receptions they've allowed in the season. So Tariq Cohen could be a real X factor here catching the ball out of the backfield. Lowest total of wild card week and odds makers get it right in terms of where they open the side in total here. It's a really interesting game because there's a lot of elements you like to go under here. The familiarity I think is big. Um, I think the Eagles defense appears to be trending up a little bit. We know what the Chicago defense can do. Soldier field should be a little bit windy. In general though, when you're looking at wild card weekend and everyone has databases out there, this seems to be a weekend where games fly over. So that's that's my slight concern currently. Uh, but the spots that opened 42 and a half got buried under immediately. And that's why we're looking at 41 right now. Interesting game. Uh, all four of them actually uh, bring plenty of intrigue here. Great to see three games all with spreads under a field goal. The Bears-Eagles game, the only one that's semi-substantial uh, with that number at six. We do have one other football game to get to, Payne, but we have some business to take care of before we talk the amateur ranks. He joins us every Thursday here on the Bet the Board podcast. You, of course, can follow Dave Mason on Twitter at Dave Mason BOL. And, and Dave, have you come down from that emotional high of your Philadelphia Eagles once left for dead getting into the NFL tournament with a chance to defend that Super Bowl crown? Oh, man, that was a lot of fun watching that game and the Bears game at the same time. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I was out with some Philly guys the other day watching the game, so we had a good time. Got overserved, uh, had a little headache the next morning, but what can you do? I mean, you're no spring chicken <laughs> over there. You can't be going out polishing off 20 beers on game day and expect to have that bounce-back resiliency on a work day. Over. Over 20. <laughs> pretty imp- pretty impressive, and we saw that the Eagles got out as high as 125-1 to one at your shop to win the Super Bowl. So we'll get your take on some of the liabilities in just a matter of minutes. But when we look at the overall picture for Wild Card Weekend, we, of course, have a concentration of games for NFL contests that are going to catch the attention of every sports better out there. How's the handle look so far, and uh, what have you guys seen as far as action's concerned? The handle is great. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great. A lot of betters kind of take the end of December off and uh, come back for the New Year's Day Bowls and and – you know, week NFL action, 16 was pretty down. Last week, the action was great on those games that meant a lot, but overall, it was kind of down. But, you know, the action, everybody's back. Everybody's back, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, public, as far as public is concerned, uh, Colts getting 58% of the action, 60% of the action on the Seahawks. Chargers are the biggest public play so far with 71% on the Chargers. And the Bears Eagles pretty split 50 50 pretty much. 53% of the early betters are on the Bears. Have we seen anything sharp so far on sides or totals? Yes, sir, we have. Uh, Ravens minus two and a half, minus 120 or better. That's up to minus three. Seattle plus two and a half, then plus three. That's now plus two. Uh, total, we got two way total on the Cowboys game over 42 and a half and under 43 and a half. That's smack dab in the middle now, 43 and a little bit on the Baltimore under 42. That's now 41. 
definitely a little battle going on there with the Seattle-Dallas total for sure. Dave, before uh, I hand it back off to Todd, national championship game, what are we seeing there in terms of liability or any early sharp action? Nothing sharp yet. Uh, liability uh, will be Clemson fans as of now. 59% of the early bettors are on Bama. That being said, as far as futures are concerned, uh, we're big Bama fans and our odds to win it all. So it's one of those things which you root for. Well, I guess we'll see Monday night to see the overall action. <laughs> you guys, you guys were delivering, I believe, Clemson at eight to one to start the season. Is that right? Oh man, you're, you're putting me on the spot. Oh no, you're, I, I, I think you were think right around, around there. there. Yeah, so, it was around seven to one, eight to one, six to one. Yeah, something like that. So, despite having more action on Alabama right now, you're going to end up uh, needing them. You think overall, just due to the futures. Oh, man, I, I don't know. To, uh, you know, we, we win big on the Alabama future. We lose small okay. on the Clemson um, as far as the game yet yet to be determined. Still so much action to come in over the weekend. Understood. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, I know that normally in the championship game scenarios, Dave, it typically plays out. You guys will find yourself rooting for the favorite to win outright, not cover, but eliminating some of that money line liability. Absolutely. Two teams with familiarity this game should be a great watch on Monday. Before we let you go, though, I mean, I teased it uh, at the top when we brought you on. As far as NFL futures are concerned, 12 teams remaining. You do have a couple of teams uh, a little bit surprising, the paths they've taken to get here. Who ultimately becomes the best and maybe worst-case scenarios for you guys to hoist the Lombardi Trophy in early February? The best is the Texans, um, without a doubt. They're, they're our biggest win, Math, massive win for us, followed by Cowboys and Colts. They'd be next. Then Chiefs, Rams, Pats, they're in the same, same kind of group. Then Saints and Bears down to Ravens and Chargers. They're both decent wins. We're in the red on two teams, the Eagles and the Seahawks, and both are pretty small red numbers. And most of that has come in since last weekend when they opened up the largest odds. You know, people are putting those lottery tickets in. You know, we're in the black on both those teams. And just for the, la- the action we took the last few days, um, we're now in the red on both those teams, but it's not a huge red number, so no big deal. But yeah, go Texans. <laughs> Always interesting when uh, some of the general betting public loves to take a lottery ticket shot uh, and hope they can catch lightning in a bottle. But for some of those folks, Dave, especially our, our loyal Bet the Board listeners that might not be players at BetOnline.ag that want to take advantage not only of all the great playoff action this weekend and coming up, but some of the Steelers props that you and BetOnline Burns put out earlier uh, actually this morning, along with some maybe some coaching props we'll see later in the week. Uh, what kind of promotions are readily available for those folks? Yes, sir. If you do not have a betonline.ag account, get over on get over to betonline.ag and sign up for one. It only takes a couple minutes. Use promo code 75BTB on your first ever deposit to get a 75% welcome bonus. If you already have a betonline.ag account but not have taken advantage of the Bet the Board Reload bonus yet, use promo code 50BTB. For a one-time 50% reload bonus. The max bonus is a thousand bucks. All the terms and conditions can be found at promotions.betonline.ag slash bet the board. You can follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Mason BOL, or maybe if you stumble into one of your local watering holes, he'll be the guy I'm wearing done. a Ron Jaworski jersey, flapping his arms, fly, Eagles fly, as they try to defend their Super Bowl championship. Dave, enjoy the games this weekend and best of luck, my friend. All right, fellas, have a great weekend. Look at Dave acting like a 21-year-old polishing off beers trying to will the Eagles into the, co- the college football NFL postseason. Over 20 beers. I don't – that's not a 
a grown man behavior. Like, I'd be in the pisser every three seconds, so I don't drink beer one. It's disgusting. I mean, you're in the pisser when you drink two liters of water in the morning, let alone if you had even six beers. I already got 120 ounces in me. It's only uh, it's only like 11 a.m. here. Man, so, I, think I, about, I think I have about 20 ounces of water in me. I am and I not, live in a damn uh, desert. You're also a little bit salty. Um, I... Who drinks 20 beers? I don't know how that's like effective. I don't, I don't know how that's like a positive, like especially when you're out and about and potentially trying to see women, you like, yeah, you feel bloated. Hey, like go with a man's Davis, drink, go with, go Dave, with a little bit of liquor there. It, it's I mean, I can't twice as can't effective with less, with less effort. Yeah. I mean, I can't drink beers like I used to be able to. I mean, I never once, and we would do it every spring fling when you we were in college after we had our hockey fitness testing. The team tradition was to go through a 30 rack challenge. Dude, I never came close to sniffing, drinking 30 beers in one sitting. I don't know how anyone could do that. I'd feel disgusting. Oh, we we had some guys that did it. And uh, let's just say the aftermath was not all that pretty. Thankfully, camera phones weren't nearly as big uh, because some of the shenanigans and biological functions that ended up as a result of all that would have made uh, for some extremely entertaining footage that we could ultimately share with those kids' children at this point. The Carl Racky types, huh? Those are the guys (laughs) chugging the 30. I mean, dude, I've never seen, I mean, uh, guys try and polish them off and the level of inebriation achieved when you got to like 25 or 26 and you had to push across the finish line, uh, worth its weight in entertainment gold. Well, I'm, I'm, I, this Natty Light is my guess. Oh, you got it. Natty Light or Bush Light, the only kind of two beers that were available. Brutal. Brutal. It's all you could drink on that college budget. Perfectly segueing into a college football national championship. Alabama taking on Clemson, and it's Alabama a five-point favorite at betonline.ag. Total in this game, 59.5. Clash of the Titans, Payne, and we've seen this line adjusted from 7.5 to 8 on the look-ahead, down to 6.5, 7 where it opened, and a steady flow of support comes in on Clemson. First time that these teams will match up, and Clemson actually comes in with a better defensive unit. Yeah. Um... Where's this game going? This is this uh, is the going, part that it's intrigues going me to most. Northern Cal- it's going to Northern California, yeah, Payne. That's where I they're going to play it at Levi Stadium. I I hear no one's going. No, ticket price is the lowest we've seen. I, I was looking earlier on like StubHub and Vivid and some of those other spots. Down to 140 bucks to get in there. Looks like it's going to be cold. And I have to imagine from Tuscaloosa, or I, I'm assuming you fly out of Birmingham, and I'm not even sure what airport is closest to Clemson. Maybe Charlotte's a short drive away. I mean, from there to Charlotte, San Francisco, okay, doable flight from Birmingham. Imagine you got to stop at least once. Yeah, I I was looking at the, this morning. The average ticket sale in the last 24 hours was like 500 bucks a ticket. That was the average price. Um, last year's national championship was like 3000 bucks. So it doesn't seem like anyone's really traveling to this thing. So if you're a local and want to go to a good football game, you might get in cheap there. Um, what were we talking about? Clemson's defense? Clemson's defense against Tua and the Bama offense. This is really tough game, I feel like. Uh, the more I dug into it, the tougher it got for me. Uh, <laughs> I, Tua looked better than I thought, and I think that's, that's probably uh, your opinion as well. I expected him to look a little, a little different. Um, I don't think he's going to be 100% here, obviously. Um I think Bama was really fortunate that they got to play Oklahoma's defense and they didn't touch him 
at all. I was looking at that this morning. They had three plays that they creative uh, that they created that were negative plays. The Sooners defense just one sack. They weren't getting in the backfield at all. Um, I I tweeted out, and some people kind of came at me for this that two at eighty five percent is better than two at a hundred percent, and obviously. I was joking to to some degree. You want to see two at 100%. But he was getting the ball out on time. He was getting it out quickly. It it just felt like the offense was more efficient. Um, He was playing within the offense. When I looked at the success rate of that game, Alabama's offense delivered a 67% success rate. That was the highest when you combined all the bowl games on the two playoff games. That was the second highest, only Army was better. Um, So to me, down to down, the Alabama offense operated much more efficiently. He was not padding the ball. He was not bypassing like underneath receivers and intermediate receivers to like hit these sports center top 10 plays uh, that he was looking to do in the SEC championship game. I mean, you throw on that film and Tua is just bypassing wide open guys, five, seven, 12 yards down the field, trying to take these deep shots. It forced him, this injury, to playing within the confines of the offense. I think it operated pretty well. When you look at like the yards per play, it was down a touch, 7.5 yards per play on the season, 7.6. And when you adjust for opponent, uh, that defense isn't very good. So I think that's partly why it still shocks some people. I have seen some of the sharper power ratings this week and the guys that I speak with, they've actually downgraded Alabama a touch off of that performance, which was pretty interesting to me. Uh, to see. I thought Oklahoma's defense, and again, it'll sound crazy to some people. I thought their defense did an okay job stopping the run. Like they didn't get completely manhandled in the trenches against the run. Uh, I know they gave up 5.1 yards per play when you weed out like all the noise of the kneels at the end of the game. But you look, they really limited the explosive run plays. Like Alabama didn't get out and just bury these guys in the ground game. There wasn't these long explosive runs like we saw even against Georgia's defense. The longest run was 19 yards. So that was pretty shocking to me what Oklahoma's defense was able to do in certain areas right after they gave up the, sounds stupid, right after they gave up the first 28. Um, But after that point, I thought they did a pretty good job. I think when I look at Clemson and and tell me if I'm, I'm wrong here, I think Brett Venables is just going to have to prove that two is 100% healthy. Um, if you looked at the reports uh, out of yesterday's practice, Tua had some like left wrap on his calf all of a sudden, and he didn't do any of the footwork drills the other quarterbacks were doing, I was told. So I, I think we're going to see Clemson dial up some blitzes. I think that's going to help protect their secondary. It's also going to force, I think, Tua to move within the pocket a little bit, see if he can throw on the run, see if he can throw off balance with that ankle foot issue. Um, the Clemson secondary, this is so tough for me to gauge because it is their weakness. Um, they showed signs of improvements in certain games, right? We thought when we broke down that NC state game, Ryan Finley could have some success. We thought when we broke down the, the, the Duke game, I believe we broke that one down. We thought Daniel Jones could have some success. They're going to be high end NFL quarterbacks. Um, they're going to be drafted high in the draft. They shut those guys down. Then you look at other games like Jake Bentley just went up and down the field against Clemson secondary 10.2 yards per pass attempt on the road. So those things scare me a little bit. Um, And you know, that defensive line as good as it is for Clemson and as dominating as it was against Notre Dame's offensive line. I, 
they're not going to just have free reign here. Like that Alabama offensive line is really good. So if Tua has time, I think he's going to be able to make some plays. Well, you mentioned, I mean, Clemson, we know the strength of that defense is clearly uh, their run-stopping ability. They hold their opponents to less than two and a half yards per carry. Uh, second in the country, allowing just under 93 yards per game. Points per game defense, uh, second in the country as well, allowing less than 13. So clearly the matchup that everyone wants to watch, that NFL caliber defensive line matched up against Tua and that Bama offense. Of course, on the other side of the ball, we have some questions about maybe the youth and inexperience of Trevor Lawrence up against an Alabama defense. It's a far cry from what we've grown accustomed to given Alabama's abnormally high standards for their stop unit. Do you see a way that Clemson can consistently move the football, whether it's with Etienne running the football or to try and get T. Higgins and Hunter Renfro involved with the young quarterback? I appreciate you throwing that clause of relativity in at the intro there. Oh, um, for sure. I'm not going to say that Alabama is performing at a Houston Cougars-like defensive level, yeah. but by Alabama standards, this isn't an elite unit, despite having guys that would scare me half to death if uh, the Williams boys or Isaiah Bugs were running after me in the open field. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's it's it sucks that we have to phrase it that way, because I got beat up last week for saying this was the worst Nick Saban defense in a decade, and suddenly people thought it was bad. Like, no, their defense has been really good. So, like, being, like, 20th? Uh, would be a, a downgrade, would be one of his worst defenses. I, The one thing you mentioned there was Trevor Lawrence, and that stood out to me. He came out pretty shaky against Notre Dame. The first three possessions, the Tigers offense averaged two and a half yards per play. Um, and I think that's certainly an element in these big games, right? You have that feel-out process. I think we'll get it here. I really do. We've seen it in these past matchups. Games start to start. Games start to play out a little slower. Uh, we have seen that in the, the last three matchups in the playoffs that these teams have had. Um, it is the reason why, if you're probably going under, you're probably going to do it in the first half and not the full game. Because the first half has been much slower starting in general and in playoff games, in Super Bowl games, in games like this, of this magnitude. Um, and if you're then looking to go over, maybe over in the second half, that, that'd be the better way to go. Uh, what I saw from Trevor Lawrence after the slow start was he, he kind of shook the cobwebs off. He settled in a little bit. Uh, the offense got really charged in there before the end of the half. Um, Clemson obviously played a much tougher defense in Notre Dame than Alabama played in Oklahoma. But I was looking at some of those success rate metrics, just 45% success rate for Clemson's offense. That was down roughly 10% uh, from their season average. Maybe to do with the game being out of touch, right? Notre Dame didn't look like they were scoring, so you kind of go into a shell a little bit offensively. In yeah, because the, the Irish stink. Don't get crazy. Um, I thought Brian <laughs> Kelly was absolutely dreadful. I mean, I thought he was horrific. He did not give his team a fighting chance. And certainly you saw some nerves there, I think, from Notre Dame early on. Had caught that pass on third down, extend the drive, had it at midfield. Maybe you set the tone offensively. They had a nice little pass that was an efficient on first down for like seven yards, gets called back for a holding penalty. There was penalties. There was horrific play calling. There was a horrific game management. Brian Kelly is being supposedly considered for NFL jobs. You are clueless if you're hiring for, for an NFL job. Um, watching him continue. God, I can't wait till he ball. becomes head coach of the Dolphins. Ugh, it'd be terrible. Watching him run the ball in situations before the half on second and long, right? It's a six point game. It's a one score game at that point. We're running it on second and long and uh, in the green zone, like, and then you lose yards. Like, he was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, Ian Book was seeing ghosts too. As much as I love Ian Book and, and we've praised him all season and certainly Notre Dame isn't in that spot without Ian Book, the man was seeing ghosts. Uh, and, and that matchup was bad, right? We talked about it. We were hoping 
uh, that the offensive line who chew on improvement could hold up. But just, you know, you lose two guys in the first round of the draft. You lose your offensive line coach. They just hadn't seen that type of defensive line. Um, back to Clemson. God, that was a long little tangent off to the left. I Here's what's interesting to me. And tell me if you see the same thing here after I'm done discussing this. Clemson's offense is really interesting. It seems to be like a boomer bust offense. 100%. Um, Okay, so it's so it's not just like you look at the the yards per rush attempt and you see Clemson's like number one in the country, like six point seven yards a pop. I I just don't love the down to down consistency. Like they seem to to stagnate for like stretches in the game. Um, they're gonna have to win down to down offensively. I think they're gonna have to be able to run the ball. I've talked about when the game's close, being able to be multi dimensional and run the ball. That's going to have to happen. I think everyone gets his heart on over Entian, and and he is a a much improved back. He is a home run threat. His vision has gotten better. His power has gotten better this offseason. He's really been a better runner with his vision. That's improved, and he's also bulked up a little bit. He's not just like this dude with speed. If he can hope to hit the hole, he's gone. But you look against Notre Dame. That game was all about big runs. Ntn had the 62-yarder. Bryce had an explosive for 23. Choice had a, another explosive for 23. You back out just those three runs. Clemson averaged three yards a pop on the ground on the other 34 carries. I, they're going to have to figure out how to be more efficient down to down. And the one thing that scares me a little bit with Clemson's offense, and we talk about explosiveness all the time in college football because it's very important, one, and not just from hitting them, but mentally, right? These are 18-year-old kids, 19-year-old kids, 20-year-old kids. They don't get over things mentally as quick as older, more mature people do. So when a guy gives up a big play, probably going to lead to a second big play, probably going to be sulking a little bit. So the explosive plays are huge. But the one thing you'll notice when you step up in competition, uh, there is a decline in explosiveness. When you're playing teams in your own class, when you're playing teams as as athletic, as as big, the explosiveness doesn't seem to translate. So you need to be more efficient down and down. That's my one thing that makes me a little nervous about Clemson. One last thing on this game, Payne, when we look at the total, I mean, you and I talked about it. So much uh, is related to venue, and we're not quite sure what the weather, what the winds may look like. The track looked exceptionally slow when we watched Oregon and Michigan State play that 7-6 thriller in the Red Box Bowl. Uh, how do we handicap the total on this game? I mean, full disclosure here, I made the number significantly higher, uh, but that was be all things being optimal conditions. And if it's a fast track in Atlanta, for me, the handicap becomes significantly different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the total tells you everything you need to know. And the one thing about repetition in sports betting is you become, I think, better at reading lines, uh, reading into what the number suggests and when you open a total this low, and when I say this low, for Clemson, Alabama, and how their offenses have operated, this is pretty low. And like you, I actually made this total significantly higher. But you factor in that big game element, potentially a slow start from teams that are trying to feel it out a little bit, uh, a Tua that's not 100%, a Trevor Lawrence that's in this massive spot for the first time as a true freshman, uh, the ability for these teams that are so athletic, so much bigger than most of the teams they play just to overpower them and outspeed them. That's not going to happen here. And then you talk about the venue. Um, probably not going to be, uh, my guys aren't going to be very happy divulging this, but 
Levy Stadium uh, is is a spot that kind of breeds unders. Whether you're looking at bowl games, which we saw most recently with Washington, whether you're looking in the NFL, it's a slow track, as you alluded to. Um, it seems to be windy there. Now, I know you look at the weather forecast, it doesn't present that, uh, but it is windier there uh, than most people think. It gets humming around in that bowl, swirling winds, and that becomes the tough thing because it's not predictable, right? When you see like end-to-end winds, okay, we know what we're going to do here if we're passing into it, if we're running into it, yada, but it's a swirling wind, so it gets a little tougher there. So this total being much lower than people think it should be, and and listen, pure core number here is like 67.5 on this total. So it is lower, but it, it's about the spot. It's about the situation. It's about the venue, and that that's why it's open this low, and certainly the line is indicating uh, that this is a much lower scoring game than people initially thought. Each team with one win so far when they've met in the national championship. This will be the fourth straight season. We see Alabama and Clemson do battle in one of college football's biggest games. Should be a great one for us to watch Monday night to culminate an otherwise ex- exciting weekend of football as these fall weekends begin to wind out. Last order of business pain. We've broken down all the games. We've talked to Dave Mason. We've even given them a glimpse of the college card. Where are we going for our best investment this weekend? And when you say we, I'm more of a mouse in your pocket on this one. Um, <laughs> let's let's go with Dallas. Um, we're looking at it's it's one one and a half right now. Let's go with Dallas money line minus a dollar twenty twenty two. That's 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 roughly out there. Um, I think the defense gets back on track. I really do. That was the lone concern underlying that they hadn't been playing very well. I think in a game that's extremely meaningful, obviously, I think in a spot where their defensive line can have some success, they will do enough to stop the run. Uh, the key here is, as I mentioned, shutting down the explosive passes to Doug Baldwin in that offense now that he's back. If you can do that and stop the run, force Seattle to pass that vaunted defensive line that I don't think gets enough credit but has a couple studs along the line should be able to dominate this game. Um, And then on the opposite side, you mentioned the gaudy rushing numbers that Seattle has allowed when they face upper echelon run teams. I think Dallas gets the ball going with Zeke. I think he's going to be able to be very successful catching it out of the backfield. Let's see if Amari Cooper can improve his game against zone defenses. If he can, uh, I think Dallas has a good shot here. So let's lay it on the money line minus $1.20, you know, $1.25. That's roughly what it is right now uh, on the Cowboys. Mouse in my pocket. A lot of pressure, uh, as I think we've riled off, what, five straight winners here after uh, all our boobirds came out and they were ready to eulogize us about week 14 of the NFL season. It was like a shit sandwich, right? We had really good bread. The meat wasn't so good. We started off with our hair on fire, 7-0. It wasn't sustainable. Um, And then we suffered some, you know, some rough beats. Um, But yes, it's it's picked up. We, We are... A little bit on fire here. Not saying go nuts with this, obviously. No, uh, I would no, bet no, no, it, no. Bet stay it the, the same way. Yeah, stay the course. Bet it how you've uh, bet all of our best bets at this point. Just because it's the playoffs doesn't mean uh, that you're extending yourself, right? If, if it was a bigger position, we'd, we'd let you know that. Uh, the playoffs don't necessarily mean you have to go bigger. So stay within yourself and whatever you've been betting on these games. Uh, follow that up again with Dallas on the money line here. Always a key. 80-plus minutes of football gold, tales of dead rodents under Payne's gas pedals. This is the kind of content that they can't find anywhere else on the internet, my friend. Oh, there you go. Got me opening up here.
you know, we try and peel back the curtain a little by little. And uh, we do this podcast for another 40 or 50 years. People actually know a thing or two about you instead of the one <laughs> tidbit we share each and every season uh, that we have been in existence. So special like an thanks onion. To- you just peel back the layers nicely, gently. <laughs> And I, yes. I, I, go, go I feel ahead, like go I get ahead, a get bad, I feel like I get a little bit, of that, a little bit of a bad rap. I just, I can't wait. I can't wait till we do our first bet the board event, you know, in anticipation, maybe next football season or two football seasons and people get to actually meet you for the first time. It's going to be a true experience for them or me. I'm I mean, not, I I'm not a huge com- people person, but I'll certainly I know, I be, think it's a, I'll I think certainly it's, have multiple Tito's in me before we start meeting random strangers. I think it's a combination of two. I think it'll be a combination of the two. We'll meet somewhere in the middle ground. For Pain Insider, you can follow him on Twitter at Pain Insider. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there as well. Dave Mason available at Dave Mason BOL and the podcast at Bet the Board Pod. Special thanks to all of you out there that participated in our 5K football free roll. Uh, those of you winning prizes have been contacted. Be patient. It takes a lot of work to try and pick winners and provide this kind of analysis. Uh, you'll get all those goodies to you soon enough. Payne, I believe there we was have like a 20-person uh, tiebreaker that needed to be instituted. It, it, it's going to take a little bit. Did you bit, use the we'll randomizer? No, we didn't have to do that. Oh, okay. um, a couple of those spots, though, like spot five through nine required like the third tiebreaker. Um, so it's been some work. So we've reached out to the winner. Trophy is already in the works of being created. Um, actually, let's give this guy's proper due here. Let me grab my phone as I yeah, give drift away out. from the mic. Should have done this at the top, but let me grab this, uh, grab, grab my phone here. So I don't forget this guy's name because, uh, he killed it. Uh, believe he went off the top of my head 59 and 26. Does that equal 85? Yeah. Right about, yeah, there uh, you go. 59 yeah. and 20. That's 85. So that's what he went. 59 and 26. Um, and both guys, first and second place, got a limp to the finish there. Two and three the final week. Fortunately, it didn't really matter. Um, his name on Twitter, do you see this? And yes, my friend, we do. Congratulations on the big win. <laughs> Job well done. Thanks again to all of the loyal listeners. It's our way of showing some thanks. Getting you guys into the competitive spirit, competing for the best prizes of any free NFL contest resembling some of the bigger stuff that's out there. Of course, go to iTunes, offer up five-star reviews. We appreciate uh, your loyalty, and we'll have plenty of podcasts to get you to the finish line every Thursday from now until we hand out the Lombardi Trophy in Atlanta. So for Pain Insider, I am Todd Furman. Best of luck this weekend with all of your investments, both of the professional and collegiate variety. And come late Saturday evening when the Dallas Cowboys beat the Seattle Seahawks, we'll see you at the window. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Bet the Board ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondry Plus and Apple Podcasts. But before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondry.com survey.